Bleeding sacrifice, no Christ. How brutal it has been. That tragic act of love has paid the price my sin demanded. From Eden's wilted promises to my heart's dark affection. Purchased my redemption. There was no shame or deep in mine. No agony more Now risen and exalted high is Jesus Christ the Savior. Who burst through So in 
Welcome to City Church. Thanks for joining us for worship this morning. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here, and I'm going to read Psalm, a portion of Psalm 33 as our call to worship. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we begin this morning by thanking you that we can come and gather together in your name to seek your face, to worship you, to hear from you. And Father, we want to start by confessing our tendency to put our hope and our trust in other things. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you have mercy on us and and cleanse us and remind us again this morning that your eye is on those who fear and trust in you. So I pray this morning we would be reminded to put our hope in you, to put our trust in you, to seek first your kingdom and your glory. And Lord, may you be near to us as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Do you guys stand and sing with us?
again. Um, so glad that you are here this morning. We get to worship with you. Um, here at City Church, we aspire to be an authentic community 
that's walking with God in our city. And so we hope this morning that you experience the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus in uh, all that we do here on a Sunday, but also in the overflow uh, in our community life throughout the week. Uh, When you came in, you should have received a bulletin. Inside that bulletin, there is a connection card. And we would love for you to fill that out. That is a great way for you to let us know you're here. It's a great way to express interest in getting more information about anything or getting plugged in with a a community group or a ministry team or anything like that. And there's also a space on the back of that card for prayer requests where you can put down something that we could pray for you about. Chipper and Jay and I pray through those each, uh, each Monday. And so it's really helpful for us to know how we can pray for you and what's going on in your life. So please do fill that out. You can drop that card in the box on your way out, or there's a little pocket in the seat back in front of you. You can just slip it in there, and we will pick it up after the service. Um, We worship a generous God. Part of our uh, act of worship, responsive worship, is giving generously. And so if you would like to give, you can always do so online, citychurchgnv.com slash give. You can also drop a gift in the box on your way out. Uh, A few announcements for us. Okay, so this morning the kids may have taken off already, but if not, the third through fifth graders can head out. We're doing a a change just starting this Sunday where the oldest class is going to stay in here for the first service for the first part. So they get to participate in some of the music, and then they're going to head out um, during the, the message and have their kids' lesson back there. So if you're here, third through fifth grader, you can go to the Yellow Room with Miss Karen. Some upcoming opportunities. This afternoon, we have a big members meeting. If you're a member here, please do put this on your calendar. Please do come back this afternoon, 1.15 in here in the sanctuary. We'll be talking about a lot of important updates, and so um, please make it to that if you can. And then May 15th, we are going to have baptisms. We're doing a baptism celebration for anyone who is has become a follower of Christ and wants to publicly declare their, their faith in the Lord, or maybe they've never been baptized. And if, if that describes you, if you are interested in getting baptized, please do let us know. You can indicate interest on the connection card. Come talk to me after the service, and we'd love to follow up with you about that. Um, this is, so we have been doing a big project. You guys have probably heard about it many, many times now, the City Roots Project. We've been doing this for well, we've been laying the groundwork for it for probably half a year now. Um, we launched it a couple of months ago, and a month or so ago, we completed kind of the first phase of that, which was we raised the funds that we needed to close on our building. We purchased this building at the end of March. Actually, it was, yeah, a little, almost a month ago. Uh, purchased this building. And then today is an important milestone as well. This is our... our our deadline for filling out a pledge towards the long-term portion of that project. So the renovation goal um, is one and a half to two and a half million dollars, which in the in the vision is to uh, ex- to expand, to renovate, and eventually occupy this whole building and use it for uh, gospel sin- or gospel presence in the heart of our city. So. Uh, if you, if this is your first time hearing about that and you're like, oh, I didn't know about that, but I'm so excited and I can't wait to make a pledge, guess what? There is information for you on the welcome table over there, some beautiful booklets and all the info, info that you need over there. Um, if you have been thinking about and praying about this, we please do. We ask you uh, to please consider, prayerfully consider making a pledge by today 
Uh, and you can get pledge cards on the welcome table. They're in the booklets, and there's probably some extras over there as well. Or you can fill out the pledge online. So if you go to our website, cityrootsgnv.com slash cityroots, or find it at, through the navigation pane, uh, then you can find a link to fill out that pledge. So please do pray about that uh, today. Finally, next Sunday, we're going to have a big celebration. This has been a lot of work. God has been, has been so gracious. He has provided for us abundantly. And we just want to spend time next Sunday afternoon celebrating the progress that we've made as a church. And so after the second service at 1 p.m. next Sunday, we're going to have a big celebration. It will be in lot 10, which is just Caddy Corner over here, the, the big open lot with the beautiful oak trees and now all the construction gear. Uh, we're we're going to use that and set up. We're going to have lunch and games and all kinds of stuff. So please do come to that. You can find information online. You can RSVP on Realm, our social media app. And uh, yeah, hope you'll join us for that. Okay, that's it for announcements. Uh, each Once a month, we have a missions highlight. So we spend some time in the service celebrating and recognizing the ways that God is at work around the world and how City Church is seeking to partner with some of those efforts. And so this morning, Emily Simmons, she's the chair of our missions committee. She's going to come up and share some exciting updates about that. Welcome her. Good morning. Um, this morning, we're actually getting to welcome Matt and Emily Barr. So they're coming up as well. It's really, really exciting. So this is the first Sunday ever that we officially have five partners and five prayer cards to match. <laughs> it's amazing. So back on the welcome table and on the welcome wall, we have prayer cards for all five of our partners. Matt and Emily. Abby and Esther. I am showing them all because then maybe you'll get them. The Akebu people of Togo. Brennan and Isabel Andrews, and yes, this is the right one, Andrew and KJ. I was afraid I had two. Anyway, so the Matt and Emily bar we just added this morning, so please grab one. If you don't have the others, grab those and well, go, grab those as well and stick them on your fridge on your way out, and you can pray for them. Um, <coughs> we're really excited. Not only are they our fifth partners at City Church, but they are also the first members of our church that we are sending to the missions field, which is a huge milestone. It's something our committee has been praying about for years. So we're just so thrilled this morning to finally get to have you guys share with everybody and not just our committee. So have a few questions for you. The first one, why Jamaica? What is your story with Jamaica? How did this happen? Yeah, thanks, Emily. And thanks, everybody, for having us. It's really fun to just share about Jamaica with friends. Um, so about 10 years ago, uh, I was involved with a campus ministry called The Navigators. I just finished my sophomore year, and there was a group of ordinary men a couple years ahead of me that uh, really cultivated a heart to, to love God. And it wasn't that complicated. They spent time with me, and we read the Bible together, and the Holy Spirit just used that to transform my life. So uh, I was really attracted to what these, how these guys' lives looked. And I wanted to live like that, so I just did everything they did. So after my sophomore year, one of those men uh, went on a short-term trip to Jamaica, and I was like, well, can I go too? Uh, so I joined along with him, and God just flipped my life upside down there. Um, I was sweating in Kingston all day long, um, playing dominoes, and uh, meeting a few youth group kids, um, and really just face-to-face -face seeing somebody's life transform, I really started to believe that 
God didn't just want to transform my life and give me love for him, but he could use my life in somebody um, else's life. And so um, I started, I left Jamaica really believing that, that God could use my life. But I also left with Jamaican friends and just a deep affection for Jamaica. So obviously a lot has happened in our life since those 10 years ago. Um, one of those things being that we got to work for the Navigators here in Florida. It's been a joy and a privilege to help students walk with God and help them feel confident to help their friends walk with God. Um, so yeah, when the Navigators who have long been praying for the Caribbean and praying for students in the Caribbean invited us to consider coming and kind of pioneering a new chapter of ministry there, um, we felt, well, you know, we have some affection for Kingston. We are fully convinced of how God transforms students' lives. Um, and we're really just a short plane flight away. <laughs> uh, we could do this. Um, so though it was really painful to think of leaving our home here that we love, um, we feel that we, we were uh, positioned and had just enough faith to say, sure, we could, we could do that, trusting that others would continue to serve and love students here and freeing us to go and do that in Jamaica. If you guys know Matt and Emily, you know how profoundly God has used them both at City Church and in the Navigators. So it's really exciting to think about how God might use you in Jamaica. Um, what are the gospel needs in Jamaica? What does it look like there? Yeah, there's a lot I could say about Jamaica. I love it. We should talk sometime. But um, when I think of the gospel needs of Jamaica, I think of ordinary life and that Jesus wants to be with you in the ordinary life, not just on Sunday mornings, but he wants to leave with you and uh, impact how you are a student, impact how you work, impact how you um, are a mother or a father or a daughter. And that is a huge need in Jamaica. So Jamaica, um, about six out of 10 Jamaicans identify as Protestant Christians. Um, so it's not an unreached people group by any means. Um, but um, along with that stat, stats aren't everything, but about eight out of 10 Jamaicans are born outside of marriage. And then it is the fifth highest murder uh, rate in the world, the highest in the Western hemisphere. And so for a quote unquote Christian nation, there seems to be a very large gap between what people are saying is true about Jesus and in it, how that impacts ordinary life. And so that just breaks my heart that, um, you know, for me, learning that Jesus wants to not only save me from my sin, like uh, forgive it, but give me power over it and uh, help me respond to him in love. Like I really hope that Jamaicans get to enjoy that truth, that facet of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Um, what, what do you hope to do? What do you hope to see God do in Jamaica? What will that look like practically? Yeah, um, we hope to do evangelism on campus. We hope to gather interested students to read and study the Bible together. Um, we hope to equip students through discipleship um, to have confidence to follow Jesus for themselves, but also the tools and confidence to help their friends and families and classmates do the same. Um, so that's what we hope to do. <laughs> We're praying that God would raise up a generation of students to kind of carry this banner of following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. Um, but I think we, we dream that it's bigger than just campus and students. Um, we are praying that these students would impact the island and impact the world, which maybe does seem kind of like abstract or maybe a naive dream, but we are taking God up at his word that he does want to change the world through ordinary people. And we think he wants to do that through Jamaica. Yeah, and I would just add that like, yeah, it is too small a thing for just campus 
um, to be transformed. I think Jamaica is the sleeping giant of mission sending because uh, Jamaicans, uh, about a third of them already immigrate all over the world. They come to Miami, England, Canada, um, just New York, um, all sorts of places, and they flourish. And like, what if we didn't, what if they didn't just immigrate, but they were sent um, as disciples? If they could carry the gospel with them, I think that would just bring transformation all over the world. And so it's a little island. In Jamaica, they use the word, instead of little, they say little. Um, but I believe God wants to do mighty things um, through that island. And for me, um, when I started really believing God's promises, I took Isaiah 60, 22. It says, the least of you shall become a thousand and the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will do this swiftly. And that verse stood out to me because I feel like a little one, even though I'm big and tall. <laughs> I feel like, what, what could I possibly do? But I believe God wants to use my little ordinary life, and he's in the habit of multiplying that. So I believe that about Jamaica, too, this little island. What could God do through that? So thank you for sending us City Church. Yeah. It's really meaningful to us to have you specifically with us in Jamaica. We are so happy to be a part of this, even in some small way, to be a part of sharing, being a part of what God is doing for you in Jamaica. It's amazing. Um, I'm not going to cry. So excited <laughs> for you guys. Also to hear about what your dreams are for Jamaica and having people sent out of Jamaica is just beautiful to hear. So thank you for taking time to share that with, with us this morning. Um, we do have two events coming up that have to do with the bars. So one, July 10th is a commissioning service on Sunday morning. We will, our whole service will be orient oriented around Matt and Emily and sending them well to Jamaica. It's the, sun or the month before they leave. And then after that, we will have a Saturday that's just 12 hours of prayer. So we'll send out basically a spreadsheet. You can sign up for a 15 minute slot of prayer so that ideally somebody in our church for 12 hours will be praying for them, leading up to them being sent. So you'll see more details about that once we get the dates and everything set. But we're just really thrilled to be a part of what God is doing with you. So thank you both so much. Well, uh, plot twist, the drummer's preaching this morning. <laughs> uh, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Um, for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we took a short break from 2 Corinthians, uh, but this morning we're going to be jumping right back into it. So would you open your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The scripture is going to be on the screen as well, and if you need a Bible, you're welcome to use one of the blue ones that are, they're kind of scattered underneath the chairs throughout the room. Uh, you can use that. It's on page uh, 1071, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, please, please take that with you. Um, and I will, I will say this, it, as you're turning to the scripture, uh, I wasn't supposed to play drums this morning. It was kind of a last minute I needed to fill in. And so I'm going to use this as a PSA for more drummers. <laughs> so if you're a drummer in here and you've been hiding, I need your help so that I, this doesn't happen that often. Would you stand with us if you're able to, uh, for the reading of God's word? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to pray together. And I want to include just a, a little bit of time to pray for the bars whom we just heard from uh, during that prayer. But this is, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's read it. I'll read it aloud. I, Paul, myself entreat you 
by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before we dive into this text, let's take a moment and pray for our time together. Let's, let's pray for our time together and pray for Matt and Emily. God, we thank you for Matt and Emily Barr. We thank you for the heart that you've given them for you, Christ, that they are faithful followers of you, that they want to faithfully serve you wherever that may lead. God, we thank you that you are taking them to Jamaica. And God, we are praying with them for opportunities, God, to initiate spiritual conversations on campus, to get to know students, that they would read and study your word together, that, they, that, that a foundation would grow for a generation of Jamaican disciple-makers so that that entire country would come to know you, God. But not only that, but that Jamaica would be, as, as Matt described, that, that you would awake this sleeping giant so that the nations would know you. God, and we pray for Matt and Emily as they're preparing for their, their move. I pray that the, the move itself would be um, smooth, and God, we know that the transition in Jamaica will 
it'll, it'll be a little tough moving to a new country and getting to know a new culture. And we pray that you would grow and flourish them as a family during that time and that their dependence upon you would um, just increase exponentially. And gracious Father, the true understanding of your holy word, it helps us to grow and to the fullness of the salvation you so freely offer in Christ. So would you grant to all of us that our hearts being freed from worldly affairs may hear and grasp your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, I'm going to show a picture on the screen. Who here knows these guys? You probably know them as the, the two old guys in the balcony. But this, uh, this is the official description from the Muppet Wiki. There really is a wiki for everything. This is the Muppet Wiki. Statler and Waldorf are a pair of elderly Muppet characters known for their cantankerous opinions and shared penchant for heckling. They share the stage left balcony box in the Muppet Theater, and the two delight in heckling every aspect of the Muppet Show. Waldorf, if you ever wanted to know, is the one with the rounder face. They, I guess the one on the left. Uh, they both have pretty round faces. Oh, yep, white mustache. And in almost all productions, Statler appears on the audience's right and Waldorf on the left. Fans and pop culture have sometimes referred to them simply as the two old guys in the balcony. And as many of you probably recall, these two guys criticized the Muppet Show all the time. Their commentary was never meant to actually help the Muppets, but rather tear them down. Well, they would have been in light company with a few folks in Corinth at the time Paul was writing his letter. Paul was experiencing some major criticism from a few folks at Corinth for some time. These were spiritual leaders who had come into the life of the church that were negatively influencing members of the church and trying to undermine Paul's leadership. We see this actually referenced back uh, first in chapter 3 when he's addressing this request that he provide a letter of recommendation for his leadership and ministry, if you recall. But here we see Paul addressing some more specific accusations made by these intruder slash critics. And it's notable here that Paul's tone in chapter 10, through the end of the letter, it actually kind of shifts. It changes significantly from the previous nine chapters. He's kind of saved the most passionate pleas to the end regarding issues with the church. And he's, he's trying to get them ready for his visit. And so he wants to leave them with the most urgent and important matters to consider. And so we find ourselves here in chapter 10, where Paul is having to defend his ministry. He needs to defend it against these kind of toxic people who are negatively affecting this entire church. Whether you are in some form of, of vocational ministry or informal ministry, as a follower of Jesus, you have a ministry. And so it's good to look at this passage together this morning and learn from Paul what a faithful ministry looks like. So as we look at Paul and his critics, we'll gain a better understanding of say, effective ministry versus ineffective ministry, or maybe true versus false ministry 
or perhaps ministry that honors God versus a ministry that dishonors God. So first, we're going to look at three parts here. We're going to look at, first, the source of faithful ministry. And second, we'll look at the nature of faithful ministry. And then finally, we're going to look at the goal of faithful ministry. So with that, let's look at our first point, the source of faithful ministry. In the first few verses of this section, we see Paul allude in a tongue-in-cheek way actually to the criticism that he's going to address more directly in a few, a few verses later. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So Paul, throughout this passage, without addressing his critics head-on. He, he seeks to care for the believers in Corinth, affected by these intruders. He addresses the accusations of those who suspect Paul of walking according to the flesh. But he explains, using this extended kind of war metaphor, that it's not according to the flesh that he does ministry, but it's through the Spirit. He says, uh, starting in verse 3, "...for though we walk in the flesh..." We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In giving us a defense of his ministry, Paul is saying his work is anything but a ministry of defense, but rather one of offense. And he, he kind of names the source of his and our, implicitly, our ministry. This source of our ministry, church, it's divine power, not flesh. It's divine power that destroys strongholds. It's divine power that demolishes arguments against the knowledge of God. It's divine power that takes every thought captive to obey Christ and punishes every disobedience. So what is this divine power? Where does it come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Back in October, Chipper, our lead pastor, he preached a sermon titled Spirit-Driven Ministry, which was looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you have time, I'd suggest you to, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's super helpful. And it's actually pretty closely connected to this part of chapter 10, so much so I almost, I almost named the sermon Spirit-Driven Ministry, the sequel. Uh, if you recall, last week, Chipper made a comment about sequels. And so. But I didn't. Because, but similarly to chapter 3, the emphasis here is that Paul is not waging this war against evil using his own earthly power, but with the divine power that only comes through the Holy Spirit that Holy Spirit that resides in us as believers. And this is a theme that keeps coming back throughout this letter. It's that, that Paul does not have the power to accomplish any work for God, but it's fully the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. And if you've placed your faith fully in Christ, then this same Holy Spirit is empowering you that's empowering Paul here in this passage. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to minister effectively to those around you. 
Do you find yourself trying to minister out of your own abilities? You will ultimately fail. While we may walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. That will accomplish nothing. As I was reading this passage this past week, this scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark came to my mind. It's, yes, the iconic 1981 film by Steven Spielberg starring Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. There's this 16-second bit where, it's literally 16 seconds, very short, where Indiana finds himself confronted by this flashy swordsman. This guy is tossing his scimitar back and forth, twirling it around, trying to intimidate Indiana. But Indy simply pulls out his gun, shoots the guy, and then just leaves the scene. The lesson here is don't bring a knife, or in this case a scimitar, to a gunfight, right? When we try to wage war in the flesh, we are like this flashy swordsman. We'll lose every time because our enemy's weapons are greater than ours on our own. But when the source of our ministry is divine power, we make Satan this swordsman. And there's no contest who will be the victor. Our weapons, to use Paul's metaphor here, have divine power as we practice complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit. This reliance enables you to effectively care for those around you. This reliance upon the Holy Spirit, it enables you to boldly share the hope that you have in Christ with your friends and your family. This reliance upon the Holy Spirit, it enables you to sacrificially love and serve each other within this community here at City Church. And Paul is saying that this divine power, our spirit-driven ministry, it really is the only way that we will be able to win the battle. This divine power is the source of our ministry. And so we must constantly be operating out of that framework, or else we may not only miss the mark, but I fear that we would potentially cause harm. So my question to you this morning, for followers of Christ here, are you operating out of this complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit to live out the gospel in your spheres of influence? Or are you still trying to battle according to the flesh? Brother, sister, stop, stop trying to do this out of your own strength. The only way we will ever make a positive impact for the kingdom of God is by first confessing our inability to do this work on our own. And it's then turning to God with complete trust in the Holy Spirit that resides in you to do the ministry that God has called you to. And when you do this, you can walk in a confidence knowing that the war is won. Christ, in his resurrection as we reflected on last week, Christ has defeated Satan and we know that the battles we face are mere skirmishes. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will win. Not only does Paul describe the source of our ministry, though, but we can also see in this passage what faithful ministry that is powered by the Holy Spirit looks like. Which brings us to our next point, the nature of faithful ministry. Paul, in defense of his own ministry, he gives us a picture of what faithful ministry looks like. First, we see that faithful ministry is marked by an other-oriented posture. He mentions in verse 8, um, his authority is for the building up of the people, not for the tearing down. Which is interesting because he just got done with using such strong, destructive 
language to describe his ministry. But we need to remember there are two groups of people that he's addressing in this passage. Those within the church and those who are seeking to lead the church astray. So when he's talking about waging war, he's waging war against Satan and his servants. And I believe he's including these intruders that he's addressing. But when he's talking about serving the church community, his commission is the building up, not the tearing down of the people. He even actually shows this concern in verse 9 when he's, he's showing concern. He's hoping not to frighten. He doesn't want to frighten people with his letters. And this is actually in direct contrast to these intruders, these super apostles, as um, Paul will actually call them later in the letter, who are not other-oriented. He kind of describes them. Uh, he says they commend themselves. He says they are failing to understand the point. He says they are looking at themselves as a standard of measurement, not God's word, not Christ. And in so doing, they, he makes, they're making themselves fools and ineffective in their ministry. But not simply ineffective. I would add counterproductive. And even more than that, we see them causing obstacles to the work of Christ through Paul in Corinth. These super apostles who are accusing Paul of walking according to the flesh, they are actually the ones walking according to the flesh. Do you see that? It's, it's absolute foolishness. And I can only imagine how exasperated this made Paul feel. Secondly, faithful ministry, it's not marked by our abilities or skills, as Paul notes here, but in our daily, even moment-by-moment moment, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. I realize this point was just made a few moments ago, but it bears repeating. This is something Chipper touched back on back in, in October, in chapter 3, but it, it's a little bit more explicit here in chapter 10. Prior to this letter, Paul sent this pretty severe corrective letter to the people of Corinth. Many people repented, and by his next visit, he didn't need to show the same level of boldness in person that he had had shown in his letter. Paul's detractors here are twisting this account and making, trying to make the case that because he's bold in his letters but weak in person, as they claim, and a poor public speaker, that his authority has no weight. But Paul reminds us once again that it's not our communication style that defines our ministry. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, actually despite the things, these things, that confirms our ministry. As we've noted in, in past sermons, Paul's not a notable public speaker. Uh, we've referenced before Acts 20, uh, where uh, a young boy falls asleep while Paul, as the ESV describes it, is going on and on. Uh, and the kid falls out of a third-story window. And Paul has to go and raise the kid from the dead. He raises him from the dead. This is, <laughs> this is a stark contrast here. There's a stark contrast of his weak public speaking ability, but his ability to raise the dead. This should give us pause and consider what is being said here about public speaking as a metric for effective ministry. Maybe it shouldn't possess the importance that we as a culture place on it. Paul's ministry is continually marked by the work of the Spirit in him, not his own abilities or lack thereof. And that is, the, that is one of the main points of Paul's argument in this chapter. 
he calls out the super apostles for commending themselves and comparing themselves to themselves and their abilities. And he says that they totally missed the point. Christian ministry, effective Christian ministry, is not marked by strong, charismatic preaching or teaching, although it can be a part of it. But rather, it's marked by the faithful and intentional care we have for those around us through our reliance upon the Holy Spirit. A reliance upon the Spirit to work in and through us as we are weak in our own abilities. This has been a theme throughout the ministry of Paul. And it's a point that we, we just cannot miss. Finally, faithful ministry, it's marked by a clear representation of Christ to others. Paul begins this entire section with a desire to address these matters by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. In using this phrase, Paul is, is addressing his detractors even before explicitly speaking to their accusations of him being weak. Paul seeks to care for these folks with the gentleness of Christ, a gentleness that is marked by compassion, by patience and love and mercy, by a, a desire for repentance and a longing for them to be a healthy community. If we aren't seeking to minister to those around us as Jesus ministered, we are not representing Jesus accurately to the world around us. Yes, we preach the gospel with our words, but also with our actions. Jesus didn't simply speak. He acted. And as ambassadors of Christ here on earth, if we want people to know Jesus, we need to seek to be like Christ towards others. Actually, think about this with my, uh, with my own parenting. As a parent, uh, I am the window by which my children first see God. Their understanding of who God is how they relate to him, and how he feels about them, it's immensely impacted by the way that I show them and don't show them Jesus. If I want my children to understand who Jesus truly is, I need to not simply speak Jesus to them, but show them Jesus and how I interact with them. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I slow to anger? Do my children feel safe around me? As they experience these parts of me, they're going to naturally form an understanding of God through these experiences. And it's our duty that they see an accurate picture of who God is. If you didn't think parenting was scary before, just sit and think about that for a minute. The responsibility of that. To the parents in the room, may God give us grace and give us the ability to show our kids Jesus accurately but it's quite similar in our personal ministries. We need to seek to know the Christ we represent. We need to seek to know him through faithful study of his word and then model his ministry through our own. And there will be change. There will be repentance. So I ask you, are you re representing Christ well in how you interact with and use social media? Are you representing Christ well in front of your classmates or your coworkers? Are you representing Christ well in the way that you plan maybe like your leisure time or the time that you spend with your friends? There are many other areas you should ask yourself this question. 
And I don't address this that anyone might feel unduly in, uh, discouraged. But we have to ask ourselves these questions. We have to repent where necessary. We get to give thanks to the God who forgives. And then we can move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit within us to grow in Christ-likeness. But what is the purpose of all this? What is the end goal here of this kind of faithful ministry that Paul is describing here as he's defending his own? I want to look at two brief observations from chapter 10 as we kind of close our time together, which is part of our final point, that the goal, we're going to talk about the goal of faithful ministry. In this third and final paragraph of chapter 10, there, there are kind of two related goals of faithful ministry that I want to point out. First, we see Paul's desire to reach the lost. Paul reminds the Corinthians in verse 14 that he was sent to them. But before Paul, there was no church in Corinth. But God had sent him to start the church there. But he actually also says that the purpose of his ministry was not solely to start a church in Corinth, but that ultimately his influence and the gospel might reach beyond Corinth. He speaks in verses 15 and 16 of this hope that he has for his ministry among the Corinthians. He says, Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. This should be one of the main goals of faithful ministry. So often we can get confused or distracted um, with many good things that come from ministry work, but may not be the primary goal. Yes, we want to see people grow in maturity and knowledge of God. Yes, we want to establish a permanent presence in downtown Gainesville. And by God's grace, he's making that possible. But theological knowledge and, and purchasing a building, these things are to serve the greater goal of reaching the lost. And ultimately to give us what we need that our ministry may leave this building, leave Gainesville, and reach those in other parts of the world. And how, how encouraging it is that in God's providence this morning, we just hear from Matt and Emily Barr, who have been with us for so many wonderful years. And how encouraging is that we get to, as a community of believers, commend, uh, commission them and send them out later this summer. This is, that's what we're talking about here. We want our ministry as a community and as individuals to move beyond right here and right now and extend beyond us to reach the world. So I exhort you to imitate Paul. To imitate Paul as he follows Christ's commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first goal we see here is to reach the lost. That's, that's our aim in faithful ministry. And a second goal, and, and a related one, 
we actually see here Paul as, as he's continuing to make clear how he's different from these intruders. He does this actually using subtext, which I will add in as I read verses 13 through 15. He says, But we will not boast beyond limits like those intruders, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, unlike those intruders who are definitely doing that. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but you know who does? Those intruders. So Paul is saying here, he's saying those super apostles, those intruders among you, they boast beyond their limits. They overextend themselves in taking credit for the things they have not done. That's not us. That's not me. I boast, but in the areas that God has placed me in. And I boast about the things that God has done through me that reaches even to you. This related goal to, to reaching the lost, the goal is not to boast in our own accomplishments, like these super apostles, but it's to boast in the work of Christ, in the work that we get to be a part of. In our personal ministries, may the Lord prevent us from being like these intruders who commend themselves and promote themselves. But rather be as Paul writes here in verse 17. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's precisely the end goal of our ministry, that God would be glorified in the work that we are doing. We uh, can't take credit for anything good that comes from our work because we aren't operating out of our own strength. But in complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit, we participate in the work God is doing in and through us as we represent Christ to care for the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of others. When something beautiful takes place, we can't say, look at what I did. But we get to say, what an incredible God I serve and what a gift it is to join him in his work here in Gainesville and around the world. Amen. We're going to turn now to the Lord's table and boast in the Lord. It's one of the functions of communion. We are reminded of the work Christ has done for us in saving us from our sins, from the wrath of God. And it's a picture of that gospel. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took the bread. He was having dinner with his disciples. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup and he poured it and he said, this is uh, my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul writes that as we take this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he returns. We are reminded of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and we look towards his return. Because he, he didn't stay dead. He conquered death. 
He was the victor. Uh, I'm going to pray here in a moment, but there will be an elder and a deacon on either side of the table here, uh, and you are welcome. There's no dismissal by row. You're welcome to come and take the bread, uh, and then there will be cups here on the table, uh, and you can take the juice from there, and, uh, and then take it back to your seat, or you can kneel, or whatever uh, is comfortable for you. And if you're not a believer and you're here with us today, thank you for taking time and joining us and thinking about these things. We would just encourage you to not take a meal that you wouldn't profess to believe in, but rather think about, think about this uh, spiritual warfare that is going on around us that Christ is the victor over. And ask yourself if you would put your hope in Christ this morning. After communion, there will be uh, the, the elder and or, deac- and or deacon will be in the lobby if you need prayer or would like prayer. Um, they're happy to pray with you. But let me pray for us now, and then we will enjoy communion together. God, we thank you for the time that we get to share together now, taking communion. Would you bless this meal that we would be nourished spiritually? That we'd be reminded of the gospel and of the ultimate power that you have, the divine power that you have over Satan, sin, and death. That you have expressed that power in saving us. And would that empower us, God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we would be your ambassadors here on earth. We thank you for this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
fight is not my own. Sin is in your hands. I worship you because I know all things. Just bow to Would you stand with us?
It was a pleasure uh, worshiping you with you today. I just want to remind everybody of the members meeting we have today here in the uh, sanctuary at 115. Hear this benediction from, Thess from 1 Thess Thessalonians. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Praise God